Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 27, verses 20 and 21. And we are still in the portion of Exodus here about the instructions for the tabernacle. And this will be a part of that. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word which you've given to us. And God, we pray that you'd help us this morning. As we hear your word read and proclaimed to have ears to hear, minds to think, and hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives. God, we ask that you would uh, change us this morning even more into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 27, verses 20 and 21. Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. In the, in the tent of meeting, outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant Law, Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening till morning. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites for the generations to come. Gospel reading. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. This is the word of the Lord. Before we read our passage for this morning, um, some questions for you. One is, uh, if you have ever been to like a um, a concert of very like a like a rock concert, very raucous kind of with a mosh pit. You ever been to one with a mosh pit? Anybody here been to one of those? Maybe it's been a while. I don't know. <laughs> do they still do that? Okay. 
Or uh, if you have ever been to, uh, to like a large uh, football game in a huge stadium, that kind of thing where everything's going on, anybody like that? Now, are there behaviors that are fitting and appropriate for those environments that would not be fitting and appropriate in a worship service? I'll give you a moment to think about your answer. Obviously, right? Obviously, there are things that are appropriate there. Not Okay, what about this? Uh, have you ever been to a court of law? Have you ever been to a court of law where things got rowdy? You may have seen on the news this week there was an incident where things got a little out of hand. Um, be that as may. We all know, whether we've been in it or not, that there comes a time where the judge will bang the gavel and say, order in the court, right? Why? (laughs) Because there are things that are out of place in that environment because of what they're trying to accomplish in, uh, in that space, what that space has been set aside for and what they're trying to do. And there's a reason and an, uh, and an order to the way things take place. And so you don't have everybody talking at once. You know, the, uh, if, even if you've never been in a courtroom, you may have watched uh, court stuff on TV where you get the uh, plaintiff and the defendant and they're like arguing with each other and what happens immediately? The judge puts a stop to it <laughs> and says, no, that's not how we do things. You will talk to me, you will talk to me, you will not talk to each other and you're going to go one at a time. That, that's, that's the way it works. Why? <laughs> so that they can accomplish um, what they're trying to accomplish. Okay, I say all that. Because in uh, the church in Corinth, it seems like things had gotten out of order. <laughs> and people were trying, to, they were trying to worship God, and they were uh, going about it in ways that were actually counterproductive, whether they realized it or not. And so one of the things that Paul is going to do is actually say to them, um, you, you need to knock that off. <laughs> that doesn't mean you need to stop doing everything you're doing, but you're going to need to change some things. And here's how we're going to change, and here's why. Anyway, so we're going to go through that and uh, see what that has to do with everything. Here we go. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 20 through 40. Uh, I will also warn you before we read this, there will be some verses in here that you will be very tempted to take out of context, and I will warn you not to do so. Here we go. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, 
Let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. All right. So hopefully, as we went through that, you heard uh, how much he's on about the it should be done in a fitting and orderly way, that sort of thing. You probably also heard the verses that people tend to take out of context uh, when it comes to uh, women uh, speaking in church, that kind of thing. We'll get there. Hold your horses. But we're going to start by keeping it all in context and going back to the very beginning. What is the problem that Paul is addressing because this is what he's been doing. He's been going through uh, this whole letter and saying there are ways that they have been influenced by the outside culture and uh, things that are not actually Christian, and they've been bringing some of those practices into the church, and maybe they don't even realize that those are out of line uh, with uh, the gospel of Jesus. Okay, so what are some of these things? What's going on here? And here's what's going on. Uh, so he kind of goes through and takes each of these Problems in turn, uh, he's been talking about spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues and prophecy, et cetera, et cetera. And he, we went over a lot uh, in December, chapter 13, where in the middle of talking about the gifts, he's like, it's all about love. If it doesn't matter what gift you have, if you don't have love, those don't matter. It's all about love. It's all about uh, building up the church and, uh, and not about showing off, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we come to this. Well, what's happening here? Well, now we have people who do come together and <laughs> to worship, and he says that each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. That sounds good, right? Everybody's coming together, and they all have something to offer. That's great. Except, or it seems like it would be great, <laughs> except that then they're all trying to go at the same time. You ever try to have a conversation with people where everybody's talking at the same time? Yeah. It, like it, that drives me crazy when you see people who are supposed to be like having a conversation and they're both talking at the same time. You're like, you are not listening to the other person. And so at this point, I just don't even care what you're saying anymore. This happens a lot. And this is what was happening in the church. And so the church that has come together and is supposed to be worshiping God together, building each other up, strengthening and encouraging each other because they're going to face difficulties in their lives and in the broader culture. And so they come together to be built up, to remind each other who God is and what he's done for them, what he's done for the whole world. And instead, they get together and it is chaos. Everyone wants to let me say my thing, let me say my thing, let me say my thing. And no one's listening. No one's being encouraged. No one's being built up. No one's being strengthened. They're all just saying whatever they want to say and getting in each other's way. And that's, and Paul's like, this is not how it's to be done. So that's the problem. What's the solution? So he gives them, here, here's, here's how to handle this. And uh, this is in those uh, next few verses. This is the uh, last half of verse 26 through 28. It says, Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, 
Two, or at the most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. Here's a solution, right? That not everyone needs to share at the same time. And in fact, not everyone needs to share every time they get together. A few, each time. Because there's a purpose to this. Uh, So that the church may be built up. And even those two or three that are sharing aren't to do it at the same time. One at a time. They should speak one at a time. Um, And then, he says, and someone must interpret. He says, if there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. What does that mean? That means there are times, in some situations, where somebody shouldn't speak at all. Right? Okay. Keeping this in mind, uh, he continues explaining what this looks like. It says, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So there is a time to speak and a time to listen. Why? (laughs) Oh, and he says, and if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Again, it's that uh, one at a time thing. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. This is the point. And then he says, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. That remind you of anything? I hope it does. <laughs> that, uh, that when he's talking about the fruit of the spirit, one of the things he brings up is self-control. That's one of the things that the spirit actually brings into people's lives, is self-control. And so if you have somebody who's like, well, I'm just out of control because I'm in the Spirit of God. It's like, well, no. And so this is uh, what he says. If there are people who are uh, prophesying because of the Spirit of God, then they will also have self-control to be able to do that in a way that is actually helpful. And then he says that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Does this remind you of anything? I hope so. That God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. What are some of the first things that we learn about God when we open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And on and on you go, and you start from the very beginning And there is this dark chaos. And by the end of chapter 1, you have everything, uh, a place for everything and everything in its place. You have what uh, is termed in Hebrew as shalom, which we tend to translate as peace. But it's basically this idea of everything being where it's supposed to be, the way it's supposed to be, um, that there is... Everything has been put in its right place, in order. And so this is one of the first things that we see about God also, that yes, he's very powerful, creative, etc., etc. But one of the things we see is he's not a God of chaos, but of peace. Um, And he's not a God of disorder, but of peace. And so this is then one of the problems with everybody coming together 
and being all chaotic in the worship service. Because what is it that we're supposed to be doing? As we worship God, we are supposed to be being formed in his image. And we're supposed to be displaying what he is like. And when we are being chaotic and disorderly, that actually doesn't give a good image of who God is. And actually gets in the way of people meeting uh, God when everybody's talking over each other, et cetera, et cetera. This then is what leads into uh, the next section where he says, uh, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Uh, Now, some people have pulled this passage completely out of its context and said, what he really means is no woman should ever preach. That's what it means. I mean, obviously, it doesn't mean that they have to be silent. We'll let everybody sing, sure. It doesn't mean silent like that. It just, anyway, and they have these ways of slicing and dicing it to say women can do this and can't do that. And yet, when we look at it in this context, in its historical context, in the church in Corinth, if you imagine for a moment that this congregation were, in, were the church in Corinth, really what we'd be looking at is we wouldn't be meeting in a building like this. We're meeting in a large home. And when we met in that large home, most likely we'd be sitting uh, with men on one side, women on the other side. And as we would do that, uh, it is very likely that uh, the men would be able to understand the language that is being spoken, whereas women, probably not as much. You have kind of the more formal language and the street language kind of thing. And so it is entirely possible that what's going on here is the men are able to follow along with what's being said, and women are going hey, what was that he's just talking about? What do you mean by that? And this is, you know, in verse uh, 29, two or three people should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. All right, so you're like, okay, that's what I'm doing. I'm just trying to weigh carefully what's being said. And the way that I'm weighing carefully is by disrupting everyone to ask what's going on. What does he mean by that? What does that mean? And Paul's like, no, 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 no. We, We don't need all that kind of, that I understand that you're not trying to speak to everyone, but you're kind of getting in the way of everyone. And so it's the same problem. So on the first instance, we had the problem of those who are up front speaking, but they're all trying, I say up front, but you know what I mean, like trying to speak to everyone, and that's getting in the way because they're all trying to go at the same time. But he said it's also a problem, even if you're not uh, the one up front trying to speak to everyone, if you're just shouting over everyone, I'm only talking to him. I'm like, no. You, you can ask that later, okay? Right, right now, you need to be putting everybody else ahead of your own needs and saying, all right, let's let everybody listen, and then I can ask later. Okay, fine. Um, this is also, let's uh, say, some take this uh, differently, and to that I would refer you to earlier in the same letter where Paul actually is talking about women prophesying in the church and saying they have to do it with their heads covered. Why would he say they have to do it with their heads covered if they're not allowed to do it at all? There you go. I'll let you (laughs) work that one out. Um, And then uh, also just on that topic, uh, remember that when we... Sorry, I got to go back to prophecy. Back to prophecy, because this is something that I've been meaning to say like the last several weeks, and I keep not getting it in there. So we'll say it right now. 
I mentioned uh, several weeks ago, prophecy in the Old Testament was not so much a um, telling the future as it was uh, holding up the covenant and saying, here's what God says that we are to do and how we are to live. This is what God has done for us, and therefore here's what we are to do and how we are to live. And yet here's how we're living, and we kind of hold those two side by side and say, are we living in line with this covenant? And generally the answer was, no, we're not, and here's some ways that we need to uh, get that right. In, uh, as Christians, there is still prophecy, but it's not, like, it's not the same as that. It's very similar, but it's not the same. As Christians, what we're not doing is you know, telling the future, predicting, that, oh, this is when Jesus is going to come. Like that's, prophe- that's not what prophecy is. In fact, if somebody's telling you when Jesus is going to come, that's someone who probably hasn't listened to Jesus, <laughs> who said, even he doesn't know. So if they're smarter than Jesus, eh, maybe take a step back. But that's not what prophecy is in the Christian church. What prophecy is, for Christians, is similar to the Old Testament prophets of saying, here's the covenant that we are under, and here's how we are living. But in the, uh, for Christians, instead of going back to Deuteronomy and saying, are we living up to Deuteronomy? It's not that. Because Jesus says, it's a new covenant, right? It's a new covenant in his blood. That's what we're under. That's what we're baptized into, is into this new covenant. And so it is, uh, it's not the one uh, from Moses. It's the one from Jesus. And um, anyway, so that is prophecy in the New Testament, is talking about who God is and what he has done all the way through and how that has come to fulfillment in Christ and what Jesus has done for us and, therefore, and for the whole world and therefore how we are to live. That's prophecy in the Christian church. And so uh, every time you're hearing that uh, said again and again, I hope that we're having the right understanding of that in mind. And so even when it comes to, you know, some of these questions, the, uh, like we don't even start here. We start actually in Genesis 1, and we move all the way forward. What is it that God has done in creation? How is it he's revealed himself to his people all the way through? And then how has he revealed himself in the new creation beginning with the resurrection of Jesus? And then going on uh, through that. Okay. And one of the reasons we say that now is because the next verse is, verse 36, did the word of God originate with you? No. (laughs) No. And so uh, today we are in line with the things that have gone on from the very beginning. I mean, what does John 1 say? In the beginning was the Word. So the Word of God doesn't start today. The Word of God started before anything else started, right? Like it's in the beginning was the Word. And so um, so it goes way, way back. And we need to make sure that we're not being so innovative in our worship that we are no longer in line with God's word and with his spirit. Meanwhile, Paul is saying, here's how you are to be conducting yourselves in a worship service, uh, fitting an orderly way. And I suppose there are people who could have said at the time, well, Paul, that's just your opinion. But we like doing it this way. And this is where he's saying, uh, did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only people it's reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. 
But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. E. So at the end, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. In other words, what all he has said should not be throwing cold water on their worship services and being like, you know what, you guys should probably just stop worshiping God. Or you should at least stop this uh, prophesying or speaking in tongues. Just stop all that. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not saying to stop that. What I am saying, though, is that uh, we need to stop the things that are actually getting in the way of people coming to know God. We should stop the things that are getting in the way of people worshiping God together. And actually, the way that you go about things should enable you to worship together properly and worship the God who is uh, not a God of disorder, but of peace. And I think this is where kind of the uh, uh, rubber meets the road for us is in this idea of God being a God of not of disorder, but of peace. In, um, I mean, you notice like the way that we have structured our worship services, and maybe you haven't noticed this, but if you ever just go through the bulletin, you can look and ask yourself, why do we do those things? Why do we do those things in the order that we do them? Because it's on purpose. <laughs> and uh, part of it goes back to this. And um, that said, that doesn't mean that this is the only way to do it. There is a difference between unity and uniformity. And I don't know if you're familiar with um, the book A Wrinkle in Time, but there is this kind of image from that book that just always sticks with me when it comes to uh, the idea of like uniformity. And this, this planet that they go to called Camazots. Anybody remember that? Is it ringing any bells? Okay, a few. Anyway, I'll describe it. So they get to this planet, and they're going along, and they see like this neighborhood street, and like all the houses look the same. And there are kids out in front of every house. Every house has a kid in the front, and like they're all bouncing a ball, and they're all bouncing the ball at the exact same time. And then at the same time, the doors open, and the moms come out, and they call their kids, and the kids all come in at the same time. Like, it's all exactly the same. And that is not the uh, unity that Paul is calling for in the church. And so saying that everything needs to be done in a fitting and orderly way, sometimes that's the way we tend to think that, that like, what that means is, oh, everybody's got to do exactly the same. And so like, in our church, we're going to do it like this, and therefore every other church should do it exactly like this. And if they don't do it exactly like we do, then they're doing it wrong. Or we go to some other church, and then we come back here and we go, we're not doing what they're doing, so we must be doing it wrong. Either way, it goes both ways. But the point is, uh, it's not about uniformity. In fact, that uh, even in that book, they recognize that's actually pretty horrible and has stripped away the humanity from the people that are on that planet. And instead, what we see in uh, throughout Scripture is that God gifts people very differently and with a variety of gifts and then has them exercise those in a variety of ways, but with a common purpose. And that is where we have this unity of purpose, even within the uh, differentiation of gifts. This is what we've been seeing uh, throughout chapters 12 and 13 and 14, and this is kind of the end of that. 
is, you know, we started in chapter 12, but there's one body with many parts. In the same way, as the body of Christ, we all have different gifts, and so we operate differently uh, within that. That unity is important. Uniformity is not. Uh, So how do we uh, work that out together? It's an important question uh, to wrestle with. But the other thing to keep in mind is is, uh, going back to verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. This is something uh, for kind of a congregation level. It's also something that's much broader than that. As we look at how we relate to other churches and how we actually are to relate and bear witness to the God of peace rather than disorder to the broader world. But then focusing that in a little bit more, same thing is true kind of in our own lives. It is uh, very uh, often the case that we have uh, people going through seasons where everything just seems absolutely chaotic and like we're drowning and you just can't keep your head above water that kind of thing and in those moments i want you to remember this verse (laughs) that god is not a god of disorder but of peace and if it helps you can also go back and remember genesis chapter one in the way that he starts there is this disorder that's there but that he works step by step and brings order about that there's a way in which the story of the whole world is exactly that. And that's what we're looking forward to in the new creation is when everything is put right again. And so all that is wrong right now will be put right. That's part of the good news of the gospel. But the other image is that of uh, Peter who was walking on the water and then started to sink. And he turned and he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out and pulls him back up that out of the watery, uh, disordered chaos, Jesus brings him up, brings him back to him, brings him back to the boat, and they get back on land. I do think that this is uh, a part of the good news as well, that not only is there this cosmic sense in which God is working disorder into peace, but he does that in our own lives too. And if we are currently in a season of disorder, uh, hopefully we can be there for each other and to remind, this is part of that prophecy, to remind of who God is and what he's been doing and what he is doing and what he said he will do. And also we can trust um, that if this is the God that he is and this is how he works, that the chaos and uh, the disorder is not the end of the story. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for uh, the ways that you have uh, revealed yourself to us and called us to yourself. God, we pray that you would help us uh, to be those who are uh, able to encourage each other and build each other up. 
God, we pray for those who are currently uh, experiencing um, disorder and chaos that is um, overwhelming. God, we ask that you would um, that you would be with them and reveal yourself to them in a way uh, where they're able to trust you even in this season. God, we ask that uh, you would continue to lead us as your people and help us in our interactions with each other uh, to represent you well. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.